0: You are listening to Waging Peace, the podcast that hosts hopeful conversations with peacemakers and world changers about how we can take action to make our communities more just, equal, and connected. I'm your host, Diana O'Strike. I'm so glad you're here with me. Buckle up, because these episodes are going to change you in all the best ways. Welcome, welcome, Layla. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, you've definitely been on my bucket list of people that pe- that I've like always wanted to get to connect with and chat with. So, you know, when they do those dinner party things of like, who would you invite to dinner? I'm like, well, I've got, I've got like a solid list of 10 and also a list of 50. <laughs> so this is like <laughs> a wonderful day in my world.
1: Yeah, that's what people who don't host podcasts don't understand. It's just an excuse for us to have interesting conversations with the people we admire and who inspire us. So yeah, oh my gosh. It's a cheat cheat code for sure.
0: (laughs) I feel like it's kind of like one of those like friendship bracelets of like, hey, can I give you a friendship (laughs) bracelet? Can we hang out? And people will do it. So I think it's been the most exciting and I think a life-giving thing is starting a podcast to be able to connect with people that you see that I see are brave with their life. And Layla, you are brave with your life and people who are generous with their wisdom and with their hope for our common good that Mm. we can do it and so I've watched you from afar for many years, <laughs> but I I just want everybody to know, I feel like our social location matters. And then also like where we put our feet, where we're um, sitting in uh, the chair, yeah. I think is a really valuable thing. And I want to honor that. So could you tell all of our wonderful listeners um, where you are?
1: Yeah. I'm sitting in my chair in my home office um, at home uh, in Doha, Qatar, which is where I live with my family who are downstairs. My son is currently doing his homework while my husband supervises him. My teenage daughter is in her room doing God knows what. She barely speaks any words to us these (laughs) days but she's there. Um, And uh, not too far away from us um, lives my mom and dad, um, who I get to see um, every day, Uh, especially my mom. see her every day um, and so yeah this is this is the place where i live and i was writing a lot around um location and identity this week um as i'm writing an essay for a book that i'm contributing to and i spoke about my parents background our ethnic background our cultural background being a third culture individual which is somebody who you know, spent the formative years of their childhood in a country that wasn't the country of their parents. Um, And I've really lived around the world. So I find it hard to, like most third culture individuals, I think I find it hard to place where is home. Um, But home for me is where my family are. Um, And so wherever we are, that's home for me.
0: That's really beautiful. I feel like just to hear that again and again that I feel like so much right now people feel displaced in many ways and that Mm -hmm. look for belonging. So for you to say that your home is your family and that can be anywhere, I think is such a good a good way to describe it. Um, And there was there's a professor named Mahmoud, Mahmoud El Khati, and he is. A uh, professor in minnesota he's actually retiring i think on anti-racism but i remember seeing him speak once and he challenged people he's like you can't you can be from a land and you can be from a language but you can't be from whiteness <laughs> like mm-hmm. you can be from a land and you can be from a language and i have always been digging my hands into the soil of what he said of that, and looking yeah. at the land of where I grew up, but also the language that I was uh, that I was taught, that I was told to see things—the language of our worldview, the language of who's good and who's not, and who's yeah. our team and who do we not trust. Um, so, for you being a third culture person, when you think about you know the land you grew up and the language that you that you grew up with. What
1: does that that spark for you? Uh, That sparks a lot because my parents' uh, mother tongue is Swahili, which um, they're both from the Swahili coast. So my mom from Pemba, which is an island that's part of the Zanzibar archipelago. And then my dad from Mombasa, which is the second largest city in Kenya. And so they met in Wales in the 70s. um, And their mother tongue for both of them is swahili um they raised us myself and my siblings speaking both english and swahili so i understand i understand it plenty um but because i grew up in an environment where the primary language is english english became my mother tongue and so um When it comes to speaking Swahili, I don't speak it very often. Um, The person I speak it most to is with my mom, who for her, that's still the best way for her to express herself is in that language. Um, She speaks English perfectly fine, but that's the language (laughs) she feels most herself in. Um, And I, for me, that's something really special that that, like that, that, that connection between myself and her and that place of me feeling most safe to speak my stumbling Swahili with her. And no, I'm not going to be teased for it. I'm not going to be made to feel like you're not really this. Um, So, uh, you know, that that's one thought that I have around language. Another thought that I have is, you know, obviously I'm a writer and being a writer language is Language is so many things. Language is a tool. Language is um, a place where I get to understand what it is that I think and feel about my own experience and what I see in the world. And it's also the way in which I share my art. You know, it's my chosen art form um, that I choose to. Not only engage in for my own joy and pleasure, but also where I serve from as well. And so I'm really interested in language and the ways in which different writers express themselves in different ways to share their art. You know, um, it's oftentimes when new writers are trying to figure out, like, what's my voice? what's like my way and I wish I could write like so-and-so writer I wish I could write like this writer and really coming to the place of understanding you're only ever going to be able to write in your own voice and to try and to try and make your voice into someone else's is a disservice to you but it's also a disservice to the world because I couldn't imagine if Toni Morrison felt like gosh I wish I wrote more like Octavia Butler and Octavia Butler thought gosh I wish I wrote more like Audre Lorde you know and Audre Lord was like I wish I was more like bell hooks you know like every one of them brought their own magic their own medicine um, and so when I think about language I really think about also honoring our own unique expression of language and knowing that first of all it's enough but also that it's it's what we need. We need your voice. We need your language. That's that helps us write this. Um the story of humanity is your voice, your language. I was just
0: talking to, as you said, somebody who you who, you know, I just really, really love, and I loved what he's doing. Nicholas Smith just wrote a book mm-hmm. called Artivism for Kids, but his art has truly carried. Grief it's carried stories it was the most shared his painting of George Floyd was the most shared
1: mm. around mm. the
0: world thanks to Michelle Obama god bless her <laughs> um but he has a saying and he he says that he's like I have a unique perspective and I'm going to fearlessly share it with the world
1: oh yes
0: and I wrote it down and then I wrote it down 3 times and then I had that you know that thought with yourself of like can I say that? Mm. Can I get the courage to believe that no matter what anybody else thinks, no matter what publishing thinks, no matter what the going um the going narrative that makes sense to people, will I share my unique perspective with the world yeah. fearlessly? And I was like that is a throwdown, but it's also that glimmer where you're like your little kid self says, yes. And then your adult self is like, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it yeah. could be costly. Uh, speaking of, of tension and costly things, you wrote a book in 2020 that spoke to over 100,000 people, hosted a viral Instagram challenge that we can safely say changed the world. Equipping people at a moral crisis moment with a personal anti racism tools that folks desperately wanted and needed. But too often we don't acknowledge the humanity of the creator behind things we love or the writer who did the work to give that offering to us. And so this is a couple years later, and I really wanted to come back to you as the creator, as the person who generously and at a cost gave the world something that people desperately needed and also on a very lightning pole topic i feel like the when you talk about taking responsibility and being disciplined and how you change the white supremacy of the world that brings out a lot of trolls um Mm. So I guess my question where I just wanted to start, and this can go any direction that you'd like, but what is the most significant place in your life that has changed since you wrote me, me, you and white supremacy?
1: Hmm. What is the, say that again. What is the most significant?
0: What is the most significant place in your life that
1: has mm-hmm. changed
0: since you wrote? Okay. The
1: book? Um. I guess I'm thinking about how much the world has changed first of all because that was 2020 we have been through and are you know in many parts of the world still going through a global pandemic um we've been through the um big energy of the uh Black Lives Matter kind of global uprising of 2020 and then the subsequent kind of white lash back of that and works that came before it, like neo-white supremacy of book bans, attacks on critical race theory, um, really a lot of right-wing nationalistic um, rhetoric and uprisings. Um, As a result of the courage, the bravery, like you said, of, of so many creators, activists, um, thinkers, um, movement organizers who were like, this is, this is what needs to happen. Um, and so it's, I feel like it's a, we're in a strange, we're in a strange time where, um, I think many of us are having to remind ourselves or almost like dig back in to what Keeps us sustained through this work because the disappointment and hurt of everything that came out of that, and then the backlash that comes afterwards, it it, it is so devastating. And I think we take for granted just how devastating that is. Um, and so the I, I've seen a lot within myself. Um, and within many of my peers in this time of the importance of really like digging into our own self-care, into community care, into prioritizing joy, into really thinking about, um, not just how can I call on that, like warrior energy of pushing, but also, um, being reminded that we're in this work for the long term. And so when we're devastated in this way, how can we make sure that we don't allow that devastation to make us stop? Because when we stop, which is the very design of what this backlash is designed to do, is to make you stop, to make you feel so hopeless, um, to divide you, to, to devastate you so much that it just doesn't feel worth it anymore. And so we really have to like root into okay. So what makes this worth it for me then? And it can't, at least for me, it can't just be based on. Even though we want the result, it can't just be based on result. It can't. Ju- it can't just be based on if I get this result, then I'll keep going. And so I really root into this philosophy of becoming a good ancestor because that gives me a very long term, intergenerational, even spiritual view of why I do the work that I do. And I was writing today, um, I've been thinking about my next book, and I've been thinking about more about what does what does this mean to become a good ancestor? What is it that we ultimately, ultimately want? And I'd written about um, recently how the work that good ancestors do is justice work, healing work, and creative work, right? And so we labor, we labor in this way, but for what ends, you know, what is it that we ultimately want? What is it that we're saying when we have a world where justice exists? What is that? What is that ultimate result? And for me, I eventually came down to it's love. Love is what it is that we actually want. We want to not only um we want to not only practice it we want to experience it and so to experience love we don't have to wait to get to the end result we don't have to wait to get to a world that is free of systems of supremacy we can cultivate nourish share experience and embody love now And that can be this really generative um, force. And I started writing about all the ways that movements throughout time, and as well as uh, modern thinkers today, talk about love as this force that drives it. And I think sometimes we shy away from it because we can't define, it's hard to define love. And also because it can be seen as this thing that's very um, unreal. It's sort of disembodied and it's sort of like, it, you know love is like what what is that right but when you really look at the movement the movement leaders throughout time and how their work was ultimately very spiritual even though they all believed in their all their spirituality was different everyone had a different form of spirituality and what that meant to them but love was this guiding guiding force And so that's where I find myself now. And I think the roots were always there. You know, when I did the Instagram challenge in 20, sorry, in 2018, and when I wrote the book in 2020, my intention was always to lead with love. But I feel like now, years later, that has become something that I'm thinking about in a more, in an even more tangible way, because I'm seeing it as. That's the only thing that has the power to um, not only dismantle the systems of supremacy that we see today, but also build the world that it is that we do want. And I see systems of supremacy, whether it's supremacy around race, supremacy around gender, supremacy around able-bodiedness, whatever the case may be, as a lack of love, it's lovelessness. And so in um, kind of uh, pursuing uh, pursuing what is love and pursuing how can I embody it, I think it's very worthy pursuit of a human life um, and bringing it into practice and sharing it with other people, I think ultimately is the point. I think for many of us, when we get to the end of our lives, that's what we want to say we've done. Um, and, and when I think about being a good ancestor, it's not just about how will I be remembered, what will people say to me, what monuments and biographies will be written about me, but really, did I do the work of passing on this intergenerational legacy of love from one generation to the other? Did I help facilitate that or did I stand in its way? And I, just, I want to be someone who helped to facilitate that.
0: I think you're so right about love being, one, the answer, but also people's eyes glaze over. They're like, sure, love. Right. But I think the point that you make about being a good ancestor is one of the most, div- I think it calls us to account. to Because yes. to be a good ancestor forces us to make a choice and forces us to reckon with, Am I going to leave? Am I going to make the way wider so that more people get to experience um, thriving and more people are going to experience not just surviving, but joy? Like, will I make that for more than just me? Because I think so many, you know, the the studies show that everybody thinks they're a good person, no matter what their actions are. There's just this, uh, you know, thank the good Lord that we all think we're awesome. But how do how does somebody go from loving themselves and their family and their ideas? And I feel like that's a pretty natural place to start. But how do we a good answer, ancestor looks for the common good? A good ancestor works on behalf of more than themselves. And I feel like that is such a bold vision. And it's a bold call. And it's a reckoning with yourself of am I just going to take care of me myself and I or is the possibility that I'm going to extend justice and I'm going to extend um love to more than just the people that are important to me. And I I think that's why being a good answer is, is kind of badass. I'm like it is um. asking us to do something. most likely the person next to us and behind us is not doing. You know what I
1: also love about it is that it's not the question of will I be a good role model, which is really about how other people see you. Will they see you in a positive light? Will they uphold you on this pedestal and say that was a good person? The this is just coming to me as we're speaking, but I think the, the real um, power of striving to be a good ancestor is that there is a desire or an understanding that in order to be a good ancestor, you have to be in relation to other people. Doesn't mean that you have to have birthed or raised children or be a parent. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you understand, I have a connection to other human beings whether I know them or not, right? And so it does call us to account, which again, I think accountability is present when we understand our connection to other people. And when we understand that we do have a choice how we're going to live, right? We we don't have a choice that it's going to end. We don't have a choice that we're all going to eventually become ancestors. thats That's been decided for us. But we do have a choice on, will i choose to use my time to act in ways that demonstrate love and love not through my not just through my words which are easy and you know i'm a writer i love words but words are easy do i live them right and i think i think you're right when people hear the word love their eyes glaze over and so that's why i i like to think about love in two ways. Number one, um, in Bell Hooks' book, All About Love, she shares the definition of love that she really loved, which is from the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. And he defined love as the will to extend one's self for one's own or another person's spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Right. So it it's for both. It's for ourselves and it's for other people. And it's the will to extend, to, to go beyond what you have to do just to be able to like survive day to day and say, I see myself and other people as having the spirit within and I want to nurture that. Right. And so I like that. And then within my own work, I talk about love being demonstrated through these three different types of work justice work which is about helping to create a world in which everybody gets to live in the dignity of their humanity and i think justice work isn't just about repairing what went wrong but actually about seeing dignity and humanity as the found like it's the basis it's not something extra that's a nice to have it's this is what it should be and so this is the bare minimum um because i think sometimes when we hear justice we think about we think only about it in relation to oppression and what needs to be fixed and we don't think we think once that's fixed we don't need justice anymore yeah
0: and i think i read something about the one of the definitions of justice or where it comes from in the justice system and mm-hmm. in one version the word justice means honorable so mm. are we acting honoring to each other? Is yes. there an honorable way that we're interacting together or fixing things together? Yes.
1: I um, love that. I love that.
0: Right? And I feel like I have my my work is around peacemaking and it's also one of those words that people are like, "God, oh, my eyes glaze over. It like means nothing and everything, but not." And as I keep looking like It's the possibility of what we could do yeah. right where we're at together today Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. one action or even if we commit our whole lives, our entire time here, of which we'll never regret. But I feel like coming up with a generative definition that shows that it is something that we build and we do. It's not something that we arrive at and it's not something that we have to be. You do not have to be. A calm, happy zen person. Yeah. To be waging peace. It's active and it and it disrupts things. And so my working definition of peace is a little bit like yours with justice. It's where everybody has a seat at the table and they have what they need to thrive. Yeah. And that's kind yes. of the step up. I'm like, uh, just surviving is not what we wish for ourselves or our kids or anybody. Like it has yeah. to be. And thriving means. Given the seat you sit in, in the place you sit, it'll be different. It should be different. People deserve dignity, and that means they will get different things. And that's a positive. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's hard to be able to catch what the great possibility that we can do when when we choose justice and we choose love. Mm-hmm. and we and we try to do something that hasn't been done and and you say the word love and i feel like yeah everybody likes love and everybody loves to love and at the same time how can it how can we look around us and it be a struggle to see how many of our systems our education system our healthcare system our warring system our military system um our justice system and our laws when we look at our history and even present tense i'm like I don't know why anyone is confused that this is unloving towards most people in most ways, like this doesn't have love at it. So I would think it would be pretty simple
1: to see. And yet, (laughs) (laughs) and yet, you know, um, yes, you know, and I think about, um, I think about, you know, the, peri- the, the period of time in which African people were enslaved. And I think about how those who are participating in that, you know, in that enslavement, whether they were the actual people who were capturing and, um, and selling human beings or they were buying them um you know or they were just in that society at the time and how like you said most of them would have said i'm i think i'm a pretty good person you know um that cuz i want to come back to this like good this word good it's not for us to it's not for us to self assess whether we are good or not um in the same way, it's not for us to self-assess whether we are an ally to a group of people who don't have the privileges that we have. You know, our work is just to do the work. Whether it was good or not, that will come out in the wash later on down the line. But our work is to like your work, to to wage peace, to do the laboring. Um, and I, I really, uh, today I was writing about, you know, Why? Why do the work? Like it's so it's so hard. You know, it's so hard. It feels so grueling. Um, But for me, it comes down to: I just don't want to get to the end of my life and feel like I didn't use this gift that I've been given to to live, love, and to make the world a better place for other human beings as well. And you know, there's a lot to be said around the ways that other people thrive. Um, some people thrive from greed and from seeing themselves as superior to other people, and from having more than other people and taking pride in that. You know, and that's their definition of of thriving. Um, history will tell if they are seen as good ancestors. But I know that for me and my values. That's not, that's not how I would define it, you know, and I get really inspired. I know you spoke about looking at the systems that exist and it's really, it can be really disheartening looking at that. I get really inspired looking at the people who I can see are in their own way, creating things that help to somehow create justice, somehow create healing, somehow inspire hope, somehow um, create connection. And I really want to pour all my energy into uplifting those people and uplifting their work because that's where the magic is really happening. Um, and that gives us that like uh, that nourish, like that renourishment of like, yes, everything is terrible, but look at what all these people are doing. And they don't have to do it. Nobody's making them do it. They choose to do this work. And and that tells me I can choose as well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get a lot of um, that just really replenishes me.
0: I feel like that's the gift of when one person walks, has the bravery to walk in their purpose, then the gift keeps going. Because I look at yeah. them, I'm like, wow, you're doing it. And whether that is something that nobody will know their name mm. or it's somebody who everybody knows their name. I still get that same encouragement and I get that same like twinkle of like what's possible when you see people creating art for justice or they're creating community to care for the community. When I see these things, and that's one of the things I have talked to a poet from Brooklyn and I've talked to a rapper from LA and I'm talking to Layla in Qatar Mm -hmm. and I'm like every Like these are people I see activating justice because they're using their purpose and it is instigating joy for me. And it's giving me a bigger possibility and encouragement to show up because I think maybe it is for me, but I think it is so much easier to sit on the couch and drink tea and only do the things that... I know, aren't going to be painful and they aren't going to be hard and they aren't going to have pushback and even yeah. um, be ignored. I think when you do something that you know matters yeah, and then people ignore it, it's a little yeah. soul crushing
1: to be like, oh, my gosh. Or they just doesn't... don't get it. Just so, they just You're like, but it's this. And they're just like, yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Right. It's
0: hard. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. There was Um. there is a book. Called Man Search for Meaning. And yes. I had been, I, I was going through some things and a friend was like, I want you to read this book because it's about suffering. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think it's the right time. <laughs> Why yeah. would you ask I to saying, read it's, a
1: book. Book. <laughs> it's a hard book. It's but, a hard book. Victor Frankel. It's a hard book. Yeah. Right?
0: But truthfully, if you've been on my Instagram or my Pinterest, I went on a Frankel frenzy.
1: Because mm
0: he what he gives us and for listeners who aren't super familiar the beginning of his book it's super small but it sold a mil- millions of copies and he almost never put his he almost didn't put his name on it yeah. when he published it um and the beginning lines he says i have to tell you that i have two phd's He's a doctorate in psychology, and I think he's a medical doctor. He's like, and I've survived four concentration camps. Mm. And I have to tell you these things so that you will listen and read the rest of my book because this idea is so important. And I thought, you're right, Victor. (laughs) Yes, I will listen. But the thing that I feel like has been so empowering and also like I see it and I know it and I feel it even if I couldn't put words to it is he said, he says that we need purpose. He says human beings cannot thrive without purpose. They can do a whole lot of stuff. Like you mentioned, they can get big bank accounts. They can get world fame. They can do a lot of stuff. But he said that in order for a human being to thrive, whether it is surviving a concentration camp, or he even said, uh, he was practicing in, like, America in the 70s and saw so much anxiety and depression. Like, mm-hmm. his work spanned from concentration camps from Europe to America across the globe. And he continues to say that without purpose, we will shrivel. Without purpose, yeah. we really can't thrive. And I feel like he he said it, and it's true. And if it can be true in a concentration camp, then maybe it's true here and if it's and I continue to see people who are walking in their purpose, who are laboring, whether they feel like it's it's sucking the life out of them or they're sucking at it, I think they're still alive and I recognize that virusrons and the the second yeah. thing he said, I think also really relates to what you're saying is he said that you can find saints or swine Ooh. in. Fellow prisoners or in the, the
1: guards. You're right. Right. Basically. Yes.
0: And that was a little was like a little tough to swallow because you know, he didn't want to throw shade on fellow concentration yes. camp folks, but also they're just people. And then yes. for um people who were born into Nazi Germany or participated, yeah. he still said that they he saw humanity. He saw people. Right. And for him to say that, he can say that. I can't say that. That's not mine to yes. assess. But I also feel like that is the challenge of being a good ancestor. No matter where you're born, no matter what yeah. you're in, no matter whether you're complicit in that system or mm. you have broken free or paid the cost to not mm. be anymore, that we can find both. We have a choice to be our That's true right. self, which we can be a saint or we can be swine. I love that. So, yeah. what a challenge for for today.
1: Yeah i i I really, I really love that. I, I'm going to be sitting on that question of purpose as well because I think per- we all define purpose differently. Like you were saying, what gives all of us dignity is going to be different for each one of us. What makes us thrive is going to be different for each one of us, and purpose is also very different for each one of us. Um, some of us who are, who, who Frankel in his language may define as swine, you know, they have their own purpose, right, that drives them and keeps them going. Um, but that's why I try not to be so prescriptive in a good ancestor, is that that, 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 like this list, because how each one of us is here to be, is here to serve, is here to create art and when I say art I don't just mean being a painter or being you know I mean whatever thing that you create whether it's a family a friendship a book a podcast um you know you're a teacher you're a lawyer whatever the case may be that's your art it's some it's something that you're cultivating and each one of us has a specific art that we're here to 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 contribute. And so our purpose, like I was saying, in the same way that we should not compare what our language sounds like, what our voice sounds like, we also shouldn't compare our purpose. We shouldn't we shouldn't say, well they are going to be remembered as this greater ancestor than I am because they have X, Y, and Z happening, whereas I only have ABC, right? Um, every I think every maybe i'm getting a little bit esoteric but every act of love i think has its own like weight and measure and we can't compare in that way and say they lived with more love because how do we know someone who fully like their purpose has been let me using the example of raising a family let me pour everything my art making my love everything my good ancestorship into raising this family, and that's all that I'm here to do. Who's to say that that is not as big a service to the world as somebody who runs a global nonprofit that helps millions of people? Right there's there's no need to compare. There's no way to compare, um, and there's no need to either. Right, because the comparison
0: only. Cuts down the possibility that I think is yes. ours to do. Yes. And then it also attributes something that may not even be real to some. Animals. Right. And, and, and that's a burden and a weight for them yes. to carry
1: that yes. they don't
0: need. And one of, the, one of the wild things Frankel says too that I still don't totally understand. But he's like, you know, purpose, the purpose of life is not one thing. uh, And it's not one thing for each person. He said, yes. but we are responsible to answer the call of mm. life. And that might be whatever life is asking him of, of me in Monday morning or this moment, or it might be 20 years from now. But he really puts a lot on responsibility of being, of owning that life might be asking us for something yeah. in this moment. And that's all our responsibility is. That's all our purposes is, is to respond to that. Just that in that moment. I love
1: that. I love that because going back to your question on kind of where I'm at now and even what brings me joy now, um, life is, life a few years ago was calling me to write this book, Me and White Supremacy. And that's where I put so much of my focus. And I'm really glad that I answered that calling and I acted on that calling and I completed that assignment. And where I'm at now is, Yes, life is calling me to write another book, but it's also really calling me to fully immerse myself in the joy and pleasure of art making um, that isn't for anyone else's consumption or joy except my own. And it makes, it lights me up when I think about it because, you know, I started, I started um two arts this year, one is crocheting, one is painting. Um, I have no delusions about, you know, becoming a master in either one of those things. But every time I poke up my crochet hook on my yarn, or every time I sit down with, you know, uh, my paintbrush and the canvas and my paints, I just feel so happy. You know, I just feel so alive and so full of giddy joy. And that is also life calling me. And it doesn't necessarily result in, okay, and this is gonna help these people in this way, in the way that I know and hope that my books do and my writing does. But it reminds me that my life is also for me, that my love is also for me, that I'm not just here to serve other people. And that if I negate myself from my service, then I also not being the good ancestor that I want to be because I didn't get to live my life um, during this lifetime.
0: Which is important. And also, I we know why. Why is this so hard for women? Why do we feel like workhorses in so many ways? But I think that part of being a good ancestor to yourself, that is answering the call to creating art, or the thing that makes you giddy with joy, that that's also mm-hmm. dignity. Like the yes. dignity that we are not people for service, yes. but we're having a human experience first. So we're a human first who gets all those things. And yes. we have the opportunity to serve because otherwise I think it does take away from the dignity. Yes. Yeah, we are, and it truly isn't even about kids because you know, I'm always I love parenting, and I like peacemaking and parenting are kind of what you're probably always going to catch me experimenting on. Like, I totally do experiments with my kids when they're little. We decided to eat dinner for breakfast because someone thought they were always hungry from eating breakfast foods. Yeah, like, well, (laughs) let's see, is it true? (laughs) Um, so yeah, I want to show them something else, but I think the bravest. And the most courageous thing is to show up for yourself as your authentic self. And yeah. and when um, I had gotten a diagnosis and the same friend who gave me that book, he told me, he's like, whatever decisions you will make as you walk through this. He's like, remember, Diana, your life is a gift to you first.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And. Trying to hold that and embrace that has been a beautiful and hard thing to do. I don't know why that's so hard to. I can see the places that I want to see more love and I want to see more justice. I can rattle those off. But to say that what's the gift to myself and that my life isn't just to spend in service, but it has a beauty all of its own. That doesn't need any anybody else's um validation. But it's up to us to live it ourselves. Like nobody will will crochet for you. Nobody will (laughs) paint for you. But the joy is yours, but also you doing that for you is yours too.
1: Yes. Yes. And it um it reminds me of um my friend Ebony Janice Moore, um, her book all the black girls are, are activists. And she talks about how just us existing in our skin, in our joy and in our humanity, whatever that, whatever's showing up um, is enough activism because we are, especially as black women, we live in a world where we're not, the world is not set up for us to thrive. It's barely set up for us to survive. And so for us to just live our lives, just live our lives, like that's our activism. And I love that obviously, uh, being a black woman, um, but I also love the extension of that, um, which is that each one of us are, we we get to do that as well, each one of us living in our joy, living in our dignity is also an act of activism. And I also think that when we're living from that place, it overspills. You know, whatever is like on the inside is what's going to come out, right? So if we're living from a place of, um, and I don't mean living because, because of what is systemically put upon us, Right, because systemically, a lot of things get put on us, including trauma. A lot of us are living with trauma, so a lot of trauma comes out. Right, Um, but I'm talking about where we are able to to um, to live with choice that we choose um, we choose things that allow us to expand rather than contract. The more that we do that, the more that we make those tiny, like micro choices. the more that we're able to experience it for ourselves, which means we become more comfortable with extending it to other people. And we celebrate it when we see it within other people as well. Um, So as an example, when I first started doing my work around uh, anti-racism discourse, I was also going through my own like awakening. So it was a a lot and, I'm kind of having this public conversation and then I'm realizing the people around me who I thought were nice white people um, are being really triggered by this and it's bringing out stuff that I hadn't expected and it really put me in a place of feeling very traumatized and feeling like I actually just don't feel safe around any white people period Um, and so I was really closed off and that was a part of my self-protection, that was me honoring myself, that was me responding to reality and not just what I was imagining. Um, but it also, the more I kind of closed off, the the I think the less I was able to see the shared humanity as well. You know, and so I also had to learn that if you can't see other people's humanity Of course, you're so hard on yourself. Of course, you make things so hard for yourself and you don't give yourself grace and you don't give yourself self-compassion and you don't give yourself space to make mistakes and learn and grow. And so I had to start with myself and learning to extend that within myself. And when I did, I began to notice that it was harder for me to judge other people, even though they did have privilege and even though we shouldn't even be having this conversation, right? But it was harder for me to just point blank write them off, and I had to really see. Okay, of course this is really hard for them because they live in a world, uh, in a worldview that is entirely different to yours, and they're beginning to they're beginning to like see. But it's very hard because it calls into question everything that they know to be true. So I had to learn not to take things so personally and also learn to balance giving grace while also holding people accountable to doing better and it's a, it's a fine line to walk but I found that the more that I was able to give myself grace the more that I was like okay you're figuring it out you know and where the intention wasn't you know it wasn't um malicious or it wasn't like you know what I mean like willfully and purposefully ignorant I was like okay I don't have to be the one to like guide you through this but I can give you grace to be like you're figuring this out and I can take care of myself and you're figuring this out
0: right which I think is so important that you take care of yourself first because as people are on are coming you know through your life or trying to intersect, I feel like it's always it's been a lesson for me to if if something affects me very, very deeply and has caused trauma and harm, then yeah. they don't know that because they haven't experienced it. And that's right. it's up to me to protect myself from that's just might not I'm not their person. I can that's right I can wave hello. I can say, you know what? Uh, wish you well. Keep going, but it is not a safe place for me, and it is not That's right. a place I can't give that because it will crush me. And hundred percent. And I and I just bless them on the way, say hello, um, and keep walking with. With sometimes I think I have to pro- I have to tell myself with no judgment, just say you know what, my spidey sense says I don't want to have this conversation with this person and I don't even need to be right about it or wrong about it. I'm just going to walk my sweet self by. That's right. For my sake and trust that there's somebody on their path who has not been impacted the way I have been impacted and who is the right person to be, um, having that, that conversation or calling them to account or, you know, that's right. Um, which I think is hard to do, but that's why I'm really grateful when other people raise their hand for things that I'm like, I can't do that. That is, um, I'm too tender for that.
1: Yeah, yes. This will hurt, it will hurt me to help you. If it hurts me to help you, then that means that I, and and if I choose to do it, which I did at the beginning, and this is why I burnt out at the time, it means that I value you more than I value myself, which means that I believe the lie of white supremacy that you are more valuable than I am. Right. So I had to learn that. I had to learn that that was a form of internalized oppression of self-sacrificing for whiteness. Um, and I really want to shout out um, my Shati Hill and her work around um, breaking the addiction to whiteness. Um, because I think going back, you said it right at the beginning, right? You can come from language and you can come from location, but you can't come from whiteness. Um, and so breaking that addiction of like white has to be put first, has to be prioritized. Um, I had to learn not to do that. And I also had to learn, and this is why I I referenced Maisha's work. I also had to learn that each one of us is a human being having a human experience and that we are just figuring it out. And so in order to do this work, it doesn't have to be this rigid, everyone on this side is wrong and everyone on this, you know, we're each one of us individuals. Yes, we're affected by these um, larger forces around privilege and power. None of us are uh, not impacted by that. But also each one of us has the choice, come back to that definition of love, each one of us has the choice to extend ourselves um, for our own or another spiritual growth. And so when I see that someone is making that choice, that tells me this person is worth being more vulnerable around, this person is worth spending more time with, this person is worth uh, um, a bit more grace, um, because I can see them in that struggle of love and really trying to figure this out.
0: I think your words, calling it a struggle of love, just like just guts me in the most beautiful way Mm -hmm. because it is a struggle. You can tell when somebody is struggling to love may not may have been given a language of supremacy may have been given a language that dehumanized. But when you see somebody who has that 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 beating heart? That's like I I don't quite know how, but I know this is not love, and I know I'm yes. made to do it, and I want to figure it out. Yes, um, that's one of those beautiful places, and I was wearing this. It it always brings me back to who am I willing to sacrifice for and show up mm-hmm. for, and. In some spaces, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like the love will always have pushback when you choose to call out the unlove. It is threatening for folks who have at zero interest in writing that wrong. Yes. And then oftentimes you're a lightning pole for those people, but they're they're not they're just the hazards out there. And I was wearing um, this T-shirt at a big airport. That says black boys deserve to grow up too. Mm. While picking up my two teenage sons. And one um, looks just like me. Whitey whitey. And then one is a stunning Ethiopian boy. Mm. So um, these are both my sons. And we do anti work. Because this is what is best for all of us. For both sons. For our world. For our family. Yeah. Anyways, I'm wearing this t-shirt. And I get to the airport and I see a guy who is wearing one of these shirts that I'm like, oh, man, like. Same shirt. Well, he was wearing a shirt that I see a lot of people wear. Um, OK, we'll just say it. It's a 1776 shirt. So and a lot of people wear it with the flag. You have to give me con- con- you have to give me context because I'm not
1: American. Sure. So you have to
0: give. So, the context is this shirt normally comes with a big old flag on it and it says 1776, which I'm not the expert, but a reference to like the beginning of America. But it tends to always come along with uh, Trumpers and with this kind okay. of like, um, let's have America be America.
1: Okay. Okay. And okay. Everybody Maybe.
0: else, F you. Okay. You know? Yes. And so, and and also because I am a combat veteran, I see all these typically men wearing these shirts that I'm like, you did not serve our country. You might right. sit on the couch, but I served our country, but right. I don't look like yes, a war hero. And evidently he does. So he gets to wear the t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> and that must be that must be very jarring, I have to say. Must be very... <laughs> if you ever figure out a way for me to navigate. The fact of I don't look like who I am and how Mm. to let people know that because I don't look like I have a black son. And so people say things to me because yes, they don't know who I am. They don't think. Right. And I'm a combat veteran, but their eyes don't tell them that. So they say things and do things. So I'm like, I don't Mm. know how to navigate the world so people understand just don't say these things to me
1: (laughs) yeah
0: um so i was standing there i'm like oh man under my breath i'm like oh please don't say something to me please don't say something to me this guy's gonna call me out you know and i'm nervous picking up our kids from the airport and as we're walking out a lovely family looks like they're just coming back from vacation from florida a really um, beautiful black family all of a sudden the mom taps me on the shoulder. And she's like, thank you for wearing that shirt. Wow. And I didn't even, you know, in a moment I didn't, I didn't know what she was talking about, but I was like, oh, you know, so if we are going to show up and try to right a wrong and black boys not getting to grow up due to police violence is a wrong, then I am going to put myself out there to get yelled at by people. But the but the worthwhileness is that another mom in that room knows that her kids yes. are stunning, that they're worthy, yes. and that she is another person who says her kids deserve to be safe and celebrated and work. That's right. Change. Yes. And so, you know, in figuring out the work and where you do the work and how do you take care of you, I'm like, man, it's just always going to cost. But as long as we choose to be good ancestors and the cost is worthwhile for the right thing, I'm like, we can handle mm. the ups and downs on that one. Yes. But not doing it, I'm just unwilling.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. it. I mean, that story demonstrates th- that what love is, right? Because that t-shirt was you demonstrating your love for your son, sons, right? But for your, your black son and the effect of it affecting a a complete stranger, right? And, and her relationship with her family. Um, And it's moments like that, that we understand that when we embody love, this can be the ripple effect that we can see in the world. And you talk about, the cost of it. And yeah, love has a cost because we don't live in a utopia where love is the status quo and everyone is loving and love is all there is and love is all around, right? We live in a world, unfortunately, where there is a lot of lovelessness. And so the demonstration of love, which I think living love is ultimately like our, like the human spirit, when who we are are. our source is love but who we are in this like physical 3d world isn't always that and so there is a cost to it because when we show it um we're showing our vulnerability we're showing the things that matter to us that we care about and these are the things that people can um take advantage of these are the people that these are the things that people can turn around on us and hurt us with but it's so powerful because that lingers, that feeling that you got from her and she got from you will linger and linger and linger. And it will, it's sort of this contagious thing where it spreads and it's like, you know what? That was worth it. Like that joy of having that reaction was so much greater than the fear I felt of this potential threat from this person who is just straight up ignorant, right? And so um, love does have a cost. And I think it, it comes back to that question of the choice that we make to extend ourselves in it is the choice that we're also making to pay the cost of love. But I think the cost is, is worth it. It's so worth it.
0: It's so worth it. And the Grinch in the Grinch movie says his heart grew three times, three sides. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is the power of love. Like love is the only thing That I've seen can disarm people of their violence. It's the only thing that can make enemies into friends. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: someone loves your kids, you can't help but be loyal to them forever. So I feel like love is this expander and not easy, but if that's the magic sauce, if that's the secret ingredient that bounces back to us, roots us deep, creates a path forward, then. I think it's always going to be what we go to. And so yes. I'm so I'm so grateful that you gave this love offering in 2020 and you did it for free mm-hmm. in 2018 on Instagram. <laughs> um, I love that. And I think the love has echoed. And then as we catch up with you now about what, where's the love that you're, that you're learning to turn inward. Yeah. And to express. So I'm super grateful that you are so generous with your life. And super brave. I think the stuff that you're doing, I'm like, it is brave to continue. It's brave to care for yourself and to find what is is your next step. Mm. Not what anybody else thinks. Not what anybody else expects. Not even what people think you should
1: do. Right. But, right. The,
0: but the North Star for you. So yeah. thank you so much for being willing to uh stay up a little late since you're around the world and talk with me. And before we go, I have some rapid fire questions. Okay? But I don't be worried. Fire. I can I can okay. tell some people's faces are kind of like, "Oh no." I can <laughs> always edit them out, Layla. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> okay. Okay. And we we did these around our dinner table the other night, which was hilarious. So they are no pressure. Shoot from the hip. Anything goes. Okay. I will not hold you to them. Okay. So I'm going to ask you quickly. First one is, what's your purpose?
1: Ah, love. <laughs> How do you go. play? Art. What's your superpower? Language.
0: Ever, you, yeah. you, have you, you have been the best rapid fire guest yet like
1: you nailed that layla i love it thank you for that clarity i'm gonna go write those down now so I remember them. layla it has been a delight you
0: inspire people to be courageous to do their work and to show up with the biggest love and thank make that so contagious much,
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: you've listened to the entire episode big high five and a hug know someone who needs to be reminded that they matter share this episode and leave a review on apple Podcasts and spotify because we need to find our people and our people need to find us we're a community of courage activators shouting for you to pull up your seat at the peacemaking table because you are exactly what our world needs see you next time